everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Of the great disturbance in the force. Hello, I'm Mr. Ray. Come on, Mark, like a job for me. Where's the goodies? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I bet you wouldn't have done anything like this if Mom and Dad were here. You filthy criminal. Excuse me while I whip this out. Go ahead. Make my day. Here are your hosts, Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. If he were to pat you on the back, you would list it on your resume. When in Rome, they do as he does. His fortune cookies simply read, congratulations. He is the life of parties he has never attended. Cuba imports cigars from him. He is the most interesting man in the world. How about that? Uh, we're back I miss here. those commercials. They're so well-written. You know, those one-liners are just brilliant. And that's the uh, best, uh, best coast. I, I wanna, yeah. I want to know who, say, who says that line in your intro, you filthy criminal. Oh, that's, that Ad, that's, oh, that's Adam, Adam West. That's Batman. Oh, is that right? Bless his heart. Adam West played my, my, my father in the New Age with Michael Tolkien, no less. Yes. Who wrote it. Who wrote it directly. How about yeah. that? Uh, Adam West, you you filthy criminal. I <laughs> filthy criminal. <laughs> and we're back here and everything old is new again another week with Peter Weller. Listen, the idea is this. We're quarantined, but it doesn't mean we can't have some fun. We can't learn something. And uh, I'm here with, uh, of course, David Cohen, the, the best co-host in radio. How about that, David? Oh, thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. I'm in a good mood today. What can I tell you? Uh, now, listen, uh, Weller, Dr. Peter Weller has been involved in 70 films, TV shows. He's directing. He's he's a jazz musician. He's acting, of course. He's uh, he's something beyond all of that as well, or in addition to that, he's a Ph.D. in Renaissance Art History from uh, UCLA. We're going to involve ourselves in all of this and more on Everything Old is New Again. We know that uh, these times that Dr. Well is with us is, is some of the most listened to and uh, greatest uh, shows that we do. People enjoy it so much. Great response. And uh, uh, Dr. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit now uh, about something that uh, is going to be somewhat difficult to translate to the radio, but I, I think we're going to have a good time with it uh, because we're searching for things to do. I would like to talk about movies more, which we will do after this for listeners, but right now I want to get into and dive into the idea that there are many virtual tours that you can uh, investigate online while you're home. Now, uh, I, I think this is a great opportunity to widen your horizons a little bit if you feel like it and uh, maybe even bring the uh, the kids or the family in involved with you know you, you don't have to travel to italy right now uh to see some of this you can wet your whistle with a little bit of what's online so uh while i have uh the doctor on the uh, on the line here to, to to let us know uh and point us in the right direction let me throw out uh, to you uh, a few museums at a time here that are available and maybe pick one or two and and then got to say that's a good one to spend some time with and if you do here's a highlight of that museum uh maybe that might be a good way to start now believe it or not the the vatican museum where you can get, of course, Michelangelo and Raphael and others, uh, is available for virtual tours, as is the, uh, and I'm going to butcher some of these, but the uh, uh, the Villa Farnesca uh, uh, at uh, in the Secret Raphael's. Are you familiar with that, Dr. Weller? Mm-hmm. And, or, yeah. and or the Altar of Peace. You can uh, take a look at uh, the Altar of Peace. So there's three there. I, I, I don't know which you would pick and why, um, but maybe, I guess it would be the Vatican, but you tell us, where should we tune in and what should we you know look for in some of these is it the vatican museum or is it 
The entire Vatican. The entire. Remember, it's the Vatican Museum, but they have the Sistine Chapel on there as well. Um, and Raffaello, Raffaello's stanza signature is open. Yes. Uh, okay. So, the Vatican Museum, where people go to the Vatican to see the Sistine Chapel and the the miracle of what Michelangelo did there. Sometimes they fail to look around the sides of those walls and look at, uh, you know, Perugino and Lucas Signorelli and, uh, and, you know, the Last Judgment, which, which Michelangelo did many years later. They had to remove a, Botic- a Botticelli there, you know, when you that left go. So there are, the Vatican, if you did the museum, where you can start really at the beginning of the Renaissance and narrative painting with Giotto, you can walk your way all the way into past Raffaello into Caravaggio. And I think Caravaggio's redemption, uh, uh, a deposition is there. No, not deposition, entombment. And so you can leave that, then you can go into the, the Belvedere Courtyard and you can see uh, this, this thing that I teach in high school sometimes called Michelangelo and the uh, action movie. You can see the Lao Kuan. The Lao Kuan is this twisted guy in perfect physique, pretty hot dude, but his two sons being eaten by snakes and he's the high priest of Troy being cursed by uh, essentially Poseidon for saying beware of Greeks bearing gifts about the Trojan horse. That twisting, right, is a message of Pergamum, which is, I'm mean, going to really bore you guys. Alexander goes around or halfway around the world, leaves his money uh, with uh, when he dies in Turkey in a place called Pergamum. This place, Pergamum, begins the idea of twisting art, of torsion. Not just the ethic of classical Greece, but the pathos, not the ethos of like the, the Belvedere Apollo and all that, you know. But the torsion of the discus thrower, you know. All this starts in Pergamum. So Michelangelo sees that, man, and that, you can go from there, you can go right into the Sistine Chapel and see where Michelangelo saw that being excavated. The Loa Kwan being excavated on Esquiline Hill while he had started the Sistine Chapel and saw that, and he saw uh, the Belvedere, uh, the, the torso, Belvedere torso. And he said, okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm twisting people in space. I'm holding action. I'm moving it. I'm holding it. Man. Uh, people are, and you see the symbols are, are twisted. Jonah at the end of the Sistine Chapel is twisted. See, at the beginning of it, you know, the judgment the drunkenness of Noah, you know, and the deluge and so forth, as he's trying to be a you know single point perspective artist. You get to the creation of Adam, right? There he is, twisted. There's God twisting, flying through space. Everything Michelangelo does after that is a one trick pony called action, right? Action movie comes right out of it. Baroque painting, you can go right into neo expressionism, right? So that museum taking you virtually through the Vatican will give you a context for movies. Is all I got to tell you. Now, along those lines, I know you have an eight-year-old. I've got an eight and a twelve. Maybe, uh, or maybe I'll throw this out to you: if you were to introduce your son to art, um, where would you start, and at what age? I would start with contemporary stuff. I started my kid when he was three, and two of his friends. <clears throat> I think it was three or four, four maybe, because they're painting. And if you do contemporary stuff, I mean, the, my, my kid, I spend every Hanukkah Christmas in um, in Venice, and I have since 1990. And uh, and I will until I go to the dirt farm, man. 
I would start, and I, I got to take my kid to um, Peggy Guggenheim's museum, right? They wanted to go there, you know. My kid looking, like being that tall and looking at like an altarpiece of Titian, he kind of was amazed at it, the largest altarpiece in the world in the Ferrari. We go to midnight mass there every every year. But he didn't, he's just, yeah, yeah, big colors. Yeah, I get it. But you take him into the Peggy Guggenheim where the, where the paintings are on eye level. And the trick is you do like, I think it's Rembrandt. I think it was Rembrandt that said actually walk into a space, if it's a museum space, pick the thing you like and look at it for five minutes, which no kid can do. But I would walk him and his three friends. I walked him and his three friends. I said, which one do you like, right? And they would go, everybody had their own little thing. They gave me 30 seconds. That one. Why? And I remember Teddy picked the Robert Delaunay, who was the guy who started like circling colors. And he says, I like the circles. I like the colors. Another kid would pick, you know, Mondrian for whatever, early Mondrian for colors. And so I would take contemporary art, man. You, you got to turn them into that because it mostly relates to, even though there's a genesis of contemporary art that goes back all the way to Giotto or beyond. What kids are painting, there's a genesis with them. It's in their head, their ideas. So they can relate to these abstract ideas faster than they can to absolute beauty of figurative art. Funny, they're trying to do figurative art, but they're doing contemporary you know, abstractism. So okay. I would do that. Man. All right, and the Guggenheim is and also... By the way, yeah. I, 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 let me ask you this. Is there a virtual tour through MoMA? Is there a virtual tour through... Um, there is to the Guggenheim. There is. I think I think MoMA as well. Or the Guggenheim. Yes. MoMA's got a virtual tour? I'm pretty sure. I heard that on the news, actually, the other day, the that, Mo- that they offered one. MoMA definitely has it, but it's limited, uh, although they're expanding it. But Guggenheim, you can literally walk the halls and turn turn and oh. take a look at this one, turn look at that one. The Ufuzi in, in uh, Florence, you could do the same. Uh, so yeah. some of them have it different uh, ways. That's another one about the, if, if you do the Uffizi. You know, I take people through the Uffizi all the time, all the time, all the time. But I got to take them like, okay, this is where the thing you walk into the first room, you get sort of like uh, depth, space, dimension, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next thing, you get horizontal composition. You walk into the next thing, you, start, you get realism. You go to Botticelli, you know, pagan art, and profane art, and then you go all the way to Caravaggio. So that's another museum you should do. Uh, I hate to do this, but we've got to take a break here for a moment. We'll be back with Dr. Peter Weller on Everything Old is New Again. It's been a long, long getting from there to here. It's been a long time. My time is fine. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything Old is New Again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Hi, this is Bob Breyer, and we're Everything Old is New Again with David Cohen and Douglas Viviani. <laughs> we are back, and that's a gentleman that is quite a scholar in Egyptology and Egyptians and uh, created a, a, the first mummy, if you will, since the Egyptian times. Dr. Peter Weller, in a related question. Uh, Peter, have, Dr. Peter Weller, have you heard of something called uh, the Great Courses? Just throwing it out there. Oh, what? What is that? The Great Courses is a is an organization where they have quite a number of um, courses of in many topics. Of course, you could purchase, download, whatever. Um, I went through and I've taken probably ten fine arts 
courses through this. They've got uh, the Renaissance, they've got from Rome, they've got history, they've got all kinds of stuff. So if anybody's interested in that, Dr. Dr. William Kloss uh, is, is one of one of them that speak of the Italian Renaissance and take us through this. It's, it's a really great way also to introduce people into art. I had no interest in it whatsoever or just a curiosity. I started watching some of these while I was working at the same time and it grabbed my imagination and I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't put it down so it's set you know art sounds dr- you know you must hear this art sounds dry in some level and academic and uh, and cerebral but uh, it's it's it is that but it's much more and, um, and and if you hear the definitions and the explanation of the history of what's going on with what you're watching and seeing on the walls it uh, it's it adds another level uh, to what you're enjoying and the great courses provides that as well I've never heard of it, but I will definitely check it out. Also, there's a guy, I think he's on BBC PBS now. A guy, what's his name? My friend is always telling me about him. He actually makes art very available to everybody, and he's not pretentious, and it's really difficult to say because art appreciation, art criticism, art history is the single possibly most pretentious avenue of endeavor I've ever encountered. And uh, it makes the movie business look like Mary Poppins, man. You know, it makes like the entitlement of like uh, of uh, movie stars, uh, you know, look like nothing. So I was going to say an addendum is that one a couple times I had the great fortune to uh, hang with David Bowie, and I had this kind of quick dinner with him and Iman. This has got to be 1992 or something like that. Right? And he was talking about. Uh, you know, like this room is full of celebrity, you know, and and uh, he made this comment, you know, that the celebrity had taken the place of the of the cultural elite of the of the courts, you know, of Louis the Fourteenth, right? And once the sort of the modern era had like done been done with royalty, uh, celebrity became it, right? And the pretensions of celebrity go on and on and on beyond, you know, the, the court of Louis the Fourteenth. I now, as an art historian and a published one, I wish I could have that lunch with him, God bless him, again, because I would say beyond celebrity, the art world of art appreciation, art criticism, and art history is way beyond celebrity. And it's like Thomas Wolfe wrote that great book, The Painted Word. I don't know if you guys have read this. You ever read it? No. Yeah. The Great Social Essay, The Right Stuff, Thomas Wolfe. you got to get this, guys. Because he gives you a quick history of art criticism in the 20th century. And he mentions all the birds, the great ones. And one of them was my mother, Louis, Leo Steinberg, uh, Conrad Greenberg, uh, Harold Rosenberg, uh, Sidney Freiberg. These are all the historians and critics of the post war generation, right? But he said the funny thing about this thing that you're talking about, Douglas, about visual art. It is the one art form, and this is his quote, to which the public is not invited. Meaning that in a modern day, you can have cats and it tanks critically, but people will go see it. You can have Dr. Givaldo, critics, after Lord of maybe this is garbage, made more money than David Lean, any movie David Lean ever made, man. People will go see poetry. They will go see music, whatever. Visual art on a wall, they will not go see or buy unless you have a aficionado, connoisseur, historian, or cultural elite tell you that you have to go 
You have an Andy Warhol throwing Bosky out a party. You think that tag artist doing that expressionistic voodoo stuff, you know, on a wall, you think anybody would have bought that? I mean, not to right. take away from his gifts, but Andy Warhol did it, right? This, this goes on. You don't think that Hans Hoffman or Peggy Guggenheim putting up a Jackson Pollock or a Lee Krasner. Lee Krasner the first woman ever put in MoMA. Who knows Lee Krasner now? When you do a party for Pollock, right, and Pollock is like the guy. So we're not invited, man, unless you've got the pretension. And by the way, I always like to, my friends go like, because I got two papers accepted to two different uh, things this year. I tell my all my buddies, my buddies are all on Zoom, including Luke Henderson. You know, guys, I got two papers accepted to two conferences, 16th Century Society and Machiavelli Society. I'm beginning two, two, not one, but two papers this year, and possibly publishing my dissertation as a book. So if you thought I was a cultural, pretentious, arrogant before, man, <laughs> you think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. So, you know, I mean, this world of art is like just... But, I, oh, but you God. know, we could peel that away with this the great courses and, and listening to you and listening to everything old is new again because it, it isn't just for the masses, but it sometimes may need to be explained to us. But if we're interested in it, it's not beyond comprehension easily. Well, but part, no, of, part no, of it not, is the way it is, too. It's not – it's it, it, it art exists in a particular place, physical place. So if you're not living in a metropolitan area or near a metropolitan area that has – you know, a decent museum, most people don't get a chance to even see it, let alone uh, living in a city where it's accessible. You're, you're, you're right, David, but it goes, because one thing beyond that, there's two, the good news and the bad news is, is that, yes, if you're not accessible to it, you're not going to, like, feel part of it. Now you can see it virtually and so forth, and you can buy books of it and so forth. But, the un, but they, you know, if you say, say you have access to it, say you have money, more money than Bruce Springsteen or something, you know, who's a pretty nice guy. I don't want to use him as an, but yeah, a lot of loot. Those guys won't go buy art if they're ready to start a collection until, you know, a connoisseur. And by the way, there's no school that teaches connoisseurship anymore. I think maybe Princeton has forced in it. It's all now documents in history. But they won't buy the art. They won't go see the art until somebody of import tells them. It's not like King Tut's tomb. You know, uh, all of a sudden there's a Mark Rothko exhibition. You know, I mean, who knew Mark Rothko until like you know, the the uh, the the postmodern age that said, okay, those squares are like beyond Mondrian. Those are like impressionistic cubes now. But the other thing that Douglas is saying is that all of it has a genesis, and all of it is connected. And when I started studying art, I started with you know uh, Picasso, and then I went back to the impressionist and I set myself forward on my own. And you can go, it, it, it's there. You can go from impressionism to post-impressionism. Okay, you got post-impressionism, not just how the light hits it, right? But it's also the shape of the thing. Okay, so Zion says, hey, you want to take the shape? Let me edge it, because I've been watching Piero della Francesca, who has this great idea of mathematics back in the Renaissance that faces shouldn't have an identity. They should just be cubes and circles and squares and parallelograms. And then you get to see the mathematics in the Renaissance, mathematics is God. Why? Because God created nature and all those mathematics exist in nature. That's what he wrote. Cezanne gets hold of that. He goes, Jake, Pierre had a great idea. I'm going to edge all these trees in different shades of green now. You can see the trees jump out. You can see the triangle of the, of the cypress and the thing. Okay, after that, you get cubism. Okay, let's take the whole image and make it pop. Or futurism in, 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 Italy, in Italy, such as that, right? You get the, 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 the image itself pop out. And then finally, 
Who cares about the image itself? What about just the shape? So you just start to get abstract out of that, right? Okay, Mondrian, who does it all from figurative realism to impression and post-impressionism, cubism, says, heck with the shape. What about just the geometry? Like we abstract the geometry out of it. We can see the beautiful thing about nature through this earth. Now, I just explained that. Not my idea. You can read it, right? You can, you can get it in five minutes. A two bankers sitting in the Grand Avenue are smoking a cigar, looking at a Mondrian painting called Black that was on sale the, on, on view at the at Los Angeles County Museum. It was the years ago. Say, can you explain that? Say, if you look closer, you see the brush strokes go one way. Brush strokes, so it's actually four squares in one big square. Yeah, so what's the meaning of that? I just told him what I told you. It comes out of figurative realism, to impressionism, post-impressionism, <clears throat> futurism, precisionism, uh, you know, cubism, abstract impressionism, uh, shape impressionism, action painting. It's all connected, Douglas, to take your point. There's nobody that all of a sudden wakes up and goes, hey, I think I'll paint, you know, a picture of Betty Boop upside down and call it art. You know, they're looking at something. And they learned it somewhere, man. Right, because... Because everything old is new again. Everything Let's old is new again. <laughs> and we'll be back right after this with Peter Weller. <laughs> Join us. This is Douglas Viviani of Everything Old is New Again, and I'm joined in London by David Soule, co-star of the legendary television series Starsky and Hutch. Not only has David managed a brilliant acting career, but the fact is he began as a folk singer, and since the mid-70s, he's recorded five albums, including such international hits as Don't Give Up On Us and Silver Lady. Hello, David. I understand you've got some great news for us. Thanks, Douglas. And yes, I'm very pleased to be with you and your audience, albeit by phone. <laughs> to announce the release of David Soul Go, a three-CD set of 44 songs I've compiled from five albums and including five international hits. And for all you vinyl fans, we're also releasing a 14-track gold vinyl album that includes all the hits, some of my favorites, plus a brand new recording of the iconic 1976 U.S. number one hit, Don't Give Up On Us. You know, in these days of uncertainty, and COVID-19, where so many of us feel isolated. Remember that music is a friend and can help soothe some of the anxieties we may all feel. I'll tell you this, you will have a friend in David Soul Gold. And there you have it. Everything old is new again. And this 3D set, the gold vinyl album, and David Soul are back and better than ever. And you can order David Soul Gold CDs and album online at davidsoul.com. That's davidsoul.com or on Amazon. Thank you, David. You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. This is Anson Mount, and you're listening to Everything Old is New Again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. How about that? Uh, Captain Pike himself from Star Trek Discovery uh, joined us a little ways back. And by the way, we're here with David Cohen and Dr. Peter Weller. Dr. Weller, uh, Anson Mount uh, says you're a great guy. I had him on the show. That's the exact quote that I wanted to relay from one person to the other. I don't know if you had ever met him. Anson Mount, he had uh, played, um, let's see, he was in uh, Hell on Wheels. He was the star Uh, of that. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, thank you. So he says, thank you. He says hello. And, uh, anyway, <laughs> just trying to drop, uh, trying to impress you a little bit. What can I tell you? But uh, Thank you, man. <laughs> here we go. I, I'm going to take a little uh, time here with Dr. Weller to go back to movies for a moment. Uh, I want to, because uh, we're, we're, that was sort of a Star Trek reference uh, that we just had. And I want to see if uh, we can pick three or four movies and see if there's any of these that speak to you and uh, tell us why. And uh, again, these are movies that people may have heard of but may have not seen. And maybe we'll give a little inspiration to actually watch a movie or two like this with your kids or with your family or yourself during this time. And uh, these are worthwhile, I would suggest, and therefore uh, what we're suggesting. So I'll throw some out here. I, I know you like this one. We spoke about this one previously. The Day the Earth Stood Still. The original, wow. yep, the original invasion, of the Body Snatchers, fifty-six, and Planet of the Apes, nineteen sixty-eight. I'm wondering if there's any of those that uh, you'd like to suggest that people take a tune to. <laughs> <laughs> sci-fi, man. Yep. Okay, like I, I've been in some like sci-fi winners. Like I guess you call sci-fi, and I'm not a sci-fi guy, man. And I never was attracted to. Uh, I just don't have to have seen all those films. I'm going to interrupt you, um, Peter, for one second. I left one off. I saw totally apart. And Forbidden Planet. That was another one I just wanted to mention, if you're familiar with that. Okay. Um, yeah. So Forbidden Planet was my introduction to uh, a kid's version of um, pornography. You know, it was, it's not pornographic, but Anne Francis swimming around naked in the pool uh, in Forbidden Planet. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. What am I, six? or seven or something like that, but it certainly uh, got my motor running. Uh, and that's about, you know, and Robbie the Robot. And I just love all the gizmos in Forbidden Planet because it was such a, a futuristic commercial bash and not, didn't really have anything to do with, um, well, I mean, it did have something to do with morality, but it was not sort of like the, the, the H.G. Wells or Philip Dick kind of, social morality that there was this visit. I love Forbidden Planet. Uh, Planet of the Apes, I, I was highly entertained by Planet of the Apes and um, isn't Kim Hunter in that? Absolutely. Kim Hunter? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. From Studio Name Desire, yeah. And, uh, and much as I, Charlton Heston, who uh, Gore Vidal always said I resembled Corey Dahl was one of my mentors in Italy, man. He wrote my recommendation into grad school. One of the great men of letters in the United States. I didn't appreciate all of his political views, but man was a powerhouse of a mind. And a huge inspiration to me. And he would call me Chuck. And I said, uh, I said you know, finally said, Gore, what are you doing? He says, well, our, well you know, it's just, it, it, sometimes you have this sort of, this posture and, and this arrogance of, of Heston, I went, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. But <laughs> I love, but that guy, you know, I just saw him again, not in Planet of the Apes, but I saw him in um, the, the, the last act of Ben Hur. Terrific, man. So, he, you know, he's, a, he's like an entertainer. I, right. I can't, right? And, and, and Dave the Oats is still a genius, of course. Yes, and then we get to Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy's in uh, Invasion, right? Yes. Yeah, I know his daughter. His daughter's one of the heads of TNT. He hired me for Longmire, and Kevin McCarthy came to the actor studio a couple of times when I was uh, when doing an improv with him. You know, I, um, uh, you know, that movie. I mean, forget that Kevin McCarthy like had an amazing theater career. I mean, it's, I think he was in the original production. I thought it was salesman. 
a lot of other stuff, man. But Invasion of the Body Snatchers is like this. An invasion of the Body Snatchers is, is like, okay, if, if, if they there stood still is gifted in its progression of entertainment into, into a moral, universal morality, the downside of that is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, man. I haven't seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 20 years, but all I know is it's indelible. It's it's still, the imprint is still on my head. Now that last scene when so, he's in the highway there yelling that they're after you and you're next, how do you forget that? Yeah, I know, you, you, can't, you can't forget it. But I'm trying to think of like, what's the best sci-fi movie you've ever seen? Like? That's a good question. Um, Me, it's, I, I just remember as a kid seeing it and still hits me today when I see it on TV was Close Encounters. I don't know. Wow. There's something about it that really just blew me wow. away. Maybe it was because the special effects at the time, you know, hadn't really been done like that before. Um, and, and the age I was when I saw it, but it, it always left a real impression on me. How about that? Um, wow. What about, what about you? I, I, I go with uh, forbidden planet only because it had all the elements and there was a little mystery there. And, uh, uh, certainly it had the titillation of the short skirts. It had all the gadgets, as you say, but it also had, uh, what's this all about? The, again, I saw it as a kid. What's the id? What's the ego? What's the super ego? <laughs> so it sort of got me involved with, you know what? Again, as a, from a child's perspective, there is more to this story than just the ray guns and what's going on here. And it, it this, monster was created by the inner person and what is and it just left me with questions of as a younger person what is the id the illy you know the 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 ego and and it started me on an exploration that there can be more to a movie or any kind of entertainment than just the gadgets you know not to say that it was a big huge message but there was something going on behind the scenes so as a younger person that started me down to the idea that watching a movie for just what's on the screen and what What's happening beyond uh, is, you know, that there could be a meaning to this movie uh, had significance to me. Well, sense? you know, that is the um, distinction between you and me, Douglas. You remember the um, the Aesop's fable morality out of this thing of making up your own monsters. All I remember is Anne Francis naked. Sort of <laughs> so, uh, but I think mine, it, mine has to be. When uh, I, 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 I'm, like, I'm kidding because I, I was I didn't quite get it because Forbidden Planet that you can create this monster that's all in your sub and this is all coming out, man. Because it was such a production. I don't know if it was in this division or whatever, man. It was such a production that I was just wowed by all the gadgets and things. But I think that uh, my favorite sci-fi idiom is Philip K. Dick, and uh, I got to do a really good the version of Philip K. Dick movie. But I think Blade Runner is my favorite. Blade Runner, maybe. Blade Runner is really, you know, it's essentially based on, you know, the confessions of Matt Turner. And I don't know if you ever read Styron's book, but, um, you know, the, it's slavery, man. I mean, you know, Matt Turner escapes and kills and he's heading. And, you know, imagine in that in the 1830s, he says, well, where's he going? I mean, what does he want? I mean, confused people, man. I think, why would this guy leave, you know, the protection of... Um, and uh, the, the the hypocrisy of slavery is not only just the slavery itself is like a horrific idiom in the past in the United States. But one of the cliches I did not like about Harriet, which I just saw, that performance was astounding, and Harriet Tubman is a giant of American history. But the movie was filled with cliches. And the reactionary South, they react 
the reactivated Southwell rise again and why Landry was so beautiful in his speech about why those statues got to come down in, in New Orleans is that during slavery, however, you know, slaves, um, this is a general thing, this, this axiom of cliche of white put down of black people, the sadness was that they cultivated this sort of, you know, social seduction of an entire cultural race of people who are coming out of like Western Africa. So it wasn't all just the N word and this and punishment and whatever. And yeah, that existed. It was like, we love you. We own you. We've taken care of you. The remarkable brainwash that the South had in slavery was that. Where would Nat Turner be going? Why would he leave here? And Blade Runner, you know, just pierces me because it's like, you know, why would these guys who've got this perfect life that we invented for them, you know, leave that planet and come here to kill? That theme, man, Philip K. Dick is dark. That's a dark dude, man. Right. Speaking of dark dudes in science fiction, I feel like Darth Vader, we've got to take a break here. We'll be back. Ready to send the old again. You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. I am returning Earth to human beings. And the greatest threat of all. The Vulcan human hybrid. The offspring of Commander Tucker and Commander DePaul. Is a little child. They're going to kill her. Robocop's Peter Weller guest stars. They look so innocent. Star Trek Enterprise. Aha, welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. We're continuing to talk all things movies with Dr. Peter Weller having some great time here. But that's some of the best science fiction is when it's uh, it just takes you to another place where there are other possibilities, but it's grounded in a human question that is answered maybe differently in the science fiction, and maybe we should have done something differently now, or at least oh, it, it you to me, the best science fiction presents you with a question. It doesn't give you an, an answer. That makes sense. Well, okay, then you got to take the all-time one of all-time ones, and it's the only hit movie ever made with no particular Aristotelian beginning, middle, and end. I mean, you can find it is 2001. Now, right. I just watched on Turner Classic Movies 2001, the last act of it. You know, when he's out there and he kills Gary Lockwood, Hal kills Gary Lockwood, Judy Lay is trying to get back in the, in the spaceship. I watched it all the way to the end, and I'm thinking, and I, I try to get my kid walking there. He walked in, and it wasn't like, you know, the razzmatazz of science fiction that he likes. It's like, like these like these perfect symmetrical shots of Gary Lay with light effect on him, and you know pulling out those like slow mo uh, cylinder or those tabs for of how, but you know he, an eight year old had no interest in it. To me, I watched that thing, you know, and I, 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 I and when it ended, Douglas, I have to say I was bummed out because I felt like I've been living in a six week old monolith. You know, right. uh, I, I think that Hal is somehow running us right now. I don't know. But that, but I think that is, okay, that's the masterpiece of science fiction of all time. There yes. is no answer to that, man. right? Correct. Take your point. There's, there's no, ta -da, and yep. they walk off into the sunset. That leaves you with a whole lot of questions. It does. And, and that's, I think, with the best, to me, the, the best part of sci-fi is, is that. doesn't It doesn't, it's not the shoot-em-ups and, and all of the technology. Um, so, all right, let me let me just do this. We're going to be back right after this. Everything old is new again with uh, Dr. Peter Weller. Talk more movies, more art, and maybe a little bit about uh, History Channel right now, right here on Everything Old is okay. new again. It's been a long road, getting from that to here. It's been a long road. 
There we go. Okay. Um, just I got to take a quick pee break, guys. Sorry. Go ahead. We'll, we'll, in the last 20 minutes, I'm, <laughs> I have to go. We'll, we'll be here. I'm going to continue to start without you, David. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Hi, this is Bob Breyer, and we're Everything Old is New Again with David Cohen and Douglas Viviani. And we're back here with David Cohen and Douglas Viviani, of course, and Everything Old is New Again, but we're also with Dr. Peter Weller enjoying uh, all kinds of topics. That is a gentleman that's been on our show a number of times talking about Egypt. He's a great uh, Egyptologist and really made that subject come alive for us, uh, Dr. Breyer. And I wanted to ask Dr. Weller a question about that, but I wanted to just first introduce the idea that uh, we're talking uh, during the pandemic here, and we're trying to get some ideas as to some movies to watch, some virtual artwork to get involved with, and uh, some things to, to keep the mind attuned here while we're waiting for the AOK to get out and live our lives again. So, uh, Dr. Weller, we, this um, uh, gentleman, uh, Dr. Breyer, uh, is very into uh, Egypt. He's a tremendous Egyptologist. He has about uh, three or four books on it. He uh, claims to have uh, a theory about how the pyramids were built. But more than that, he, he really knows uh, Egypt in and out as a society. And is a lot of fun, brings it alive for the great courses. And that's how I got to learn him and, and, and others. Do you, did you, in your uh, uh, idea of when you went for your PhD, did you have a choice of Egypt versus, uh, you know, up to World War II and, and whatever uh, art there was as to get involved with a certain civilization? And I guess a better question is, what made you choose the Renaissance as your focus of your PhD? Uh, well, I, let, let me give a shout out to Dr. Bob Breyer, because that guy's a legend, Amazing, and I've been to Egypt twice on, uh, you know, archaeological and political tours with the History Channel and with the one-year celebration of Obama's speech in Cairo when they reopened the Library of Alexandria in a big bilateral sort of or many multilateral talk of about American stereotypes in Muslim countries. And uh, a friend, a longtime friend, and a guy who's like sort of segued me into a lot of places that even the History Channel couldn't get into, Zahi Was. And Dr. Zahi, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta thank Dr. Zahi for resurrecting Egyptology in the world, man. <coughs> because, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> because as gifted as Dr. Breyer is, and others, the access and the fascination, the interest, and so forth. Just the the, the commercial um, uh, <clears throat> momentum of Egyptology, uh, despite Arab Spring or whatever has happened in the Mediterranean, wouldn't be there without Zaghi. And so Breyer's a gifted dude, man. Uh, he was tremendous. We, if you feel like it, uh, go back and listen to our show. Anybody can hear the old shows on everything old is new again. Dot biz. That's dot biz. Or I uh, will, man. Yeah, I mean, he it just flows, and he was really, and he's got a great nature to him, just like yourself. He's he's very easygoing, but he sure knows his stuff, and uh, he taught me a lot with this course. Uh, and and uh, you know what, I love this in our fantasy. David and I were talking about uh, these are our fantasies, and and probably why um, Forbidden Planet has a different l- level for us because we were thinking about what about Doctor. 
Breyer debating Dr. Weller about which is the uh, the a simple question, the best civilization, uh, the, the Romans or, or the Egyptians? <laughs> uh, that would be our Super Bowl. You can't, you, can't, um, uh, you know, look, man, Egypt influenced Greece for sure. Archaic sculpture, we know that, man. Greece influenced Rome, so you can't. You can't beat Egypt, man. You can't beat Egypt. I mean, as, the last time I was in Egypt, uh, when I was there, I can say for the opening of the Library of Alexandria, uh, uh, there's a, you know, in the Valley of the Queens, uh, there's, uh, you can't get into this particular fresco cycle because you have to pay $25,000 because it's hermetically sealed and it's only about five feet long on both sides. And it's, I don't know how old it is, 5,000 years, 4,000 years. And Zahi got us into it and he just made the phone call. We went into it. So you look at that, you think, okay, Everything comes from this, man. <coughs> you could say the whole Judeo-Christian ethic comes from that. You could say Zoroaster comes from that. You know, one God ideology comes from that. You could say reincarnation, you know, or resurrection. The whole idea of resurrection comes from comes from Egypt, right? Exactly. And I've got, you know, speaking of Robocop, I, got, I would get in these conversations with Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven is a master's degree in medieval mythology, man. We'd say, look, you know, the first Hittic Pharisees believed in resurrection, passes on to Christianity. Um, by the way, out there, people out there, like when I had to study how the Bible became a book, as a great teacher, both Jewish and Christian, would say when the Christian students and the Jewish students and the uh, Islamic students would stand up and say, well, what if, the, what if what, my imam, my priest, or whatever, and they go, listen, not talking about that, not having a rabbinical debate here, talking about Archaeology, okay? How the thing happened? So take that out of it. So when you say the belief in uh, resurrection is it, it, it is inherited by the Pharisees, the Essenes and the uh, didn't believe in it, and um, but that comes from Egypt. There's so many things from Egypt. I can't even debate Dr. Bryant. I can't even go there, man. How about I can talk about look how I got into it. I didn't get into it through Egypt. I got into it. I was living in Europe with a father who was fascinated with uh, history and everybody's an intellectual in my family. I, I was playing catch up ball. My brother was a savant. My father was a savant. Everybody could read five books in a second. My father turned me on to Robert Graves and Greek myths and so forth and Roman myths. That was great. Uh, that Ali McGraw, bless her heart, who I mentioned before to you, was the seminal person. You know, you don't, people know those that Ali McGraw. Yeah, she was a great model and an actress. In but Alan McGraw was a gifted student at Wellesley in design and art. And Diana Vreeland, the, the head of style at Vogue, would take one of these girls every year from these universities, these Ivy League women's universities, and, and groomed them to become a fashion stylist. And Sylvia Plath, the great poet, was one of them. And there were several of us. Allie was that. So when I started running with Allie after this movie, we made the movie, and then I was going out with some, someone for a second, a ballet dancer, and then she invited me to Sweeney Todd. She said, come to this party. I was going out to parties with, with painters. I, I don't know these people. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know who Robert Rauschenberg was or these people were. I could tell Warhol because he had weird hair or something like that. We later took my photograph eight times and I don't have one copy of that. But, you know, <laughs> we took with Plimpton. We took it with Plimpton and Mailer and on and on, and man, and Halston and Truman Capote and, uh, you know, and uh, Betty Friedan, for crying out loud, man. Spinem, uh, Erica Jean, I mean, it, not to mention the painters again, and the Met Ball, and all of us plunked down next to Alvin Ailey and Martha Graham. What am I supposed to say? You know, I, my mother read it in a newspaper. She says, hey, 
I didn't know Allie was that person. That's Allie's cachet. Allie's cachet in New York. And your roommate, I mean, next door neighbor was uh, uh, Diane Arbus, Diane Arbus. So Allie's access to New York was through her cachet as a, as a, style, a photographer stylist, right? And she put on a bikini once, and the rest is history. But what her intelligence is, is astounding. And she told me, my mother said to me, uh, like I said, my mother was loud, so, you know, did she read a New York Post of hanging out with Ali? What's that like? I said, I don't know. I'm with all these literati, literati, these really intelligent people. Man. I was at a dinner last night with Norman Mailer, and I, I wanted to say something to Betty Prudan. You know, I don't know what to say to these people. And my mother said, well, don't say anything! <laughs> just, shut up and, just shut up and listen! <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's a slap on the face. So I shut up and listen. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time again here with Dr. Peter Weller. We will be back next week, and everything old is new again. And continue talking with Dr. Weller. Thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm.